Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Oh, I know it makes you want to dance, but that's not the takeaway, right? <laughs> the takeaway is you got to be plugged in to the power of the Holy Spirit to be used by Him. That, that's where the light comes from. That's where the power comes from. And that's what we've been talking about as we're walking through this little section in our study of the book of Acts. And it's this idea of being plugged into the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible with you, grab that. Acts chapter 10 is where we are. If you do not have a Bible, we have some. And we'd like you to have one. So <laughs> grab one of those. You can take it with you. You can read that on your own this week. But this is a neat, neat place for us. My name is James. I'm so, so glad that you're here. Welcome to those who are here in person. Welcome to those who are joining us online. We are in a neat, neat spot in our study where God is putting two people together, right? Here we're going to see Peter. He's a Jewish apostle, and he's going to be hanging out with a guy named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion, but the scope is bigger than that, okay? The two people here represent two much larger groups of people. Peter is kind of the front man for the Jewish people, and Cornelius is a, a front man, a representative of the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people. And this interaction that they started last week, though, continue this week, is really supposed to kind of blow up our whole picture. It's going to augment this idea of who is eligible to receive the gospel. Who gets to hear the good news about Jesus Christ? And so the big takeaway out of this passage is honestly one very important question that we have to ask. Do we understand what is necessary for salvation to occur? That's the most important question anybody can ask at any time, right? Life on this planet is short. We get that. It's uncertain. We've talked before about it's just a dash. See those dates on your tombstone of when you were born and when you die, and you get that little dash in the middle. That's your life. Scripture says we're a mist that appears and then vanishes. That doesn't sound all that impressive, but, but here's the reality. We could live to be a ripe old age. We live to be 100 years old here on this planet, and that is a dash, that is a blip on the timeline of eternity. So it's not hyperbolic for me to suggest this is the most important question anyone can ask and answer. How can I be saved? How can I know for certain that I'm right with God? How do I know where I'm going to spend eternity? And the scary part about that is a lot of people get asked that question and they have different answers and a lot of their answers are wrong. That's, that may sound judgmental for me to stand up here and say that, but we talked last week about this idea of the gospel being available to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and the reality is we know a lot of people don't profess faith in Christ. And a lot of people who do profess faith, do they really understand what they're saying? Despite the best efforts of people in the church and evangelists and parachurch ministries, the number of people in America, just America, not in the world, who say they're Christian is dwindling. Kind of rapidly, sadly. If you look at this research, if you look at studies, there were surveys done like in the early 1990s, and 90% of people you talk to in America would say they were Christian. I don't know if they know exactly what they're saying or not, but 90% of people professed faith in Christ. You look at those numbers in 2007, that number had gone down to 78%. They went out and asked the same question last year, 2022. You know what the answer was? 64%. Bless you. And that's just people who answered the survey question, are you a Christian? 
I kind of think a lot of people answer that question without knowing what they're talking about. The Pew Group did this particular study, and they started asking deeper questions, more revealing questions, and it was kind of alarming because a lot of people, remember in 1990, 90% of people said they were Christ followers. A lot of people said they were going to spend eternity in heaven with God because they lived a good life. They'd done more good than bad. Tried to keep the Ten Commandments, things like that. And here's the thing about these kind of statistics. God bless you. I think that the answer that people give, sometimes they sincerely believe it's the truth. Like they think when the roll call is given for heaven, they believe they're going to make it in because of their good works. And despite a lot of sincerity on their part, according to Scripture, they're sincerely wrong. They don't understand what it takes to be saved. And that's the most critical error any one of us can ever make. Folks, if we sincerely believe that we can earn our way into heaven through our good deeds, I sincerely hope that someone loves us enough to come and tell us we're sincerely wrong. That's the most loving thing we could possibly do. It sounds harsh, but it's true. That's sobering, so I want to break the tension a little bit. I want to show a little video clip if I can. And if you're as old as me, you've seen this before probably. But this is from the legendary TV show WKRP in Cincinnati, where my friend newsman Les Nessman is on site for a Thanksgiving Day promotion. Watch this with me. It's a helicopter, and it's coming this way. A helicopter? What a sight, ladies and gentlemen, what a sight. The helicopter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's a... Uh, a dark object, uh, perhaps a skydiver, plumbing to, to the earth from only 2,000 feet in the air. <laughs> the third. So no parachutes yet. Those can't be skydivers. I can't tell just yet what they are, but... Oh, my God, they're talking! Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of my eyes! just went to the windshield of a parked car! running around pushing each other oh my goodness oh the humanity oh, people are running about uh, the turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement i don't know how much longer the, the crowd is running for their lives i think i'm going to step inside i can't stay out here and watch this any longer no i can't go in there Are you there? Les isn't there. <clears throat> Thanks for that on-the-spot report, Les. Those of you who just tuned in, the Pinedale Shopping Mall has just been bombed with live turkey. Film at 11. As God is my witness... I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> Station manager Arthur Carlson there at the end, and he sincerely believed, as God is my witness, thought turkeys could fly. And turkeys can fly. I mean, this isn't about poultry avionics, but, but they can't fly from 2,000 feet dropped out of a helicopter. They're good for about 40 feet. They'll hop up in a tree. But, but what's the issue there? 
He sincerely believed they could. I'm not here to poke holes in his sincerity. I'm here to poke holes in the reality of what he was placing his faith in. It's the same thing for us. If we're in this spot where we think our good works can save us, or our Bible knowledge can save us, or giving away money could save us, or prayers could save us, we're in trouble. We're putting our faith in the wrong things. Those things can't save us. So, Pastor James, what can? Faith. It's that simple. That's the thing that's going to save us from our sin. That's the thing that's going to save us from being eternally separated from God. It's having a faith-filled relationship with him. And praise the Lord, the Bible spells that out pretty clearly. We'll see that visited over and over and over again. It's his undeserved favor. It's professing trust and faith in him. And that happens apart from any goodness that we might try to bring to the table. The Apostle Paul explains this fairly often. This is how he shares it with the church that met in Ephesus. It says, for by grace you've been saved, how? Through faith. And he knows our tendency to pat ourselves on the back pretty hard. He goes, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one of us may boast, and we would. In our fallen nature, we'd try to take credit for something that we have no credit in. It's all the Lord, amen? But people struggle with this one. We struggle today. People struggled back then. And I think that's why Dr. Luke is inspired to include this account, this action between Peter and Cornelius. Because even when we try to grasp the reality that God can save anybody, right, even the most notorious of sinners, we still like to come along and add a little work to it. Yeah, God can save anybody, but we got to clean ourselves up a little bit, right? God's not running around scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for people, is he? Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> but we get confused on this. This is what has led to our misunderstanding of the biblical term of repentance. We've talked about this many times. Repentance in the Bible means we change our mind about who Jesus is. And changing our mind results in a change in our actions, but sadly, sometimes we've co-opted this idea, well, repentance just means stop sinning. <laughs> As if we could do that on our own anyway. If we could stop sinning on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. That's not the gospel. Repentance doesn't mean that. What do we need? We need the free gift of God's grace to be saved. And while the gift is free, it ain't cheap. Because once we profess faith, once we are plugged in to the Holy Spirit, once we desire to change our actions and our attitude, that's going to be costly. Why? Because now we have to die to our old way of life. Because now we're going to want to live for Christ. And that's not easy. I will give you that. But that's where the abundance is. And that's what God wants for us, these people that he's created and that he loves. And it sounds so easy on paper, but practically it's a struggle. When we're honest, it's hard to die to ourselves. We know that. And here as we study the scriptures, we're going to see even the heroes of our faith struggled with this concept. Peter and all the original disciples, they knew salvation was by grace through faith in Jesus. They knew that. And yet as they went out tasked with sharing the good news, all they did was go to Jewish people because they were doing good stuff, right? That's the issue that we struggle with. And so that's why this is such a huge hinge in the Bible. Now to become right with God, you don't have to be a religious convert. You don't have to convert to Judaism or eat certain foods or wash your hands so many times, right? That's why God's breaking down these barriers. That's why God tore down Peter's prejudice last week. 
was hard to change Peter's mind, but it was important. And you remember what God used? He dropped down that meat sheet in front of Peter. He's like, look at all this food. And, and there was unclean food in there. And God said, the things that I've made clean, don't go around saying they're unclean. And Peter was able to learn from that and take that leap and said, well, gosh, if the unclean food doesn't hurt me, I guess these unclean people aren't going to hurt me either. And here we are today. It's fantastic because Peter learned and grew. But we got to understand, this is, this is a radical turning point in God's economy of salvation. So for about a 2,000-year period in history, from the time of Father Abraham to the time of Jesus, salvation had been from the Jews. Do we recognize that when we look at Scripture? There's a throw-in in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking with a woman at the well. Do you remember that? She was a Samaritan woman. She was from outside the normal fold. And do you remember what Jesus told her? Tons of great things, but he specifically said this, John chapter 4, verse 22. You worship what you do not know because you weren't in the club. We worship what we know. We are in the club. Why? Because salvation is from the Jews. So before this, any person who was outside of that group, they had to do some Jewish-like things, right? Like professing a denomination almost, like becoming religious. And that's not the picture. Now, this is hard for these people to take, right? And they had heard that from Father Abraham moving forward, all the generations would be blessed, all the nations will be blessed. But up until Acts chapter 10, a little bit of a bottleneck. <laughs> the blessing of salvation kind of seemed to stop with the Jews. Now, again, I mentioned this last week because this is so huge. This totally blows up our understanding of Scripture, this is a radical change that takes place. Because of Peter's sermon today, the door now swings wide open for Gentiles, for people who are not Jewish. It includes us sitting here today, right? So now, as we go forward to share the gospel, we can tell people the only thing that determines salvation is your faith. That's why we're studying this sermon that Peter shares here at the end of Acts chapter 10. There should be some clear takeaways for us. I hope you got an outline as you came in. They're listed there. But the first one is this. Salvation is not based on where we were born. Salvation is not based on our national identity, nor is it based on good works that we do. Jump in and join me in the text. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have it up here on the Sky Bible. But this is the sermon that Peter's going to preach because God has brought together the preacher that he wants, this Jewish apostle, with the audience that he wants, this group of Gentiles. They're there at Cornelius' house. Peter launches in. Verse 34, Peter opened his mouth. He said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. He showed him last week in the meat sheet, right? He says, but it, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is not the way I would have started this sermon, okay? <laughs> but let's deal with what we've got here. He starts strong. I like that first part. God doesn't have any prejudice. God doesn't show any partiality. I'm on board. Then he says something unusual. He says God accepts people who do what is right. Now, to me, that sounds like works, right? So we can't stop here. And Peter's sermon doesn't stop here, but we'll dig into the context a little more in a second. He leads with this fact that favor is not based on nationality. That's practical for us today. I've heard people say this, and I don't think we're trying to be ethnocentric or exclusive or whatever, but we, just, we seem to think that God loves America more than other nations. And there's really nothing in Scripture that would tell us that. God doesn't favor America over anybody else. He shows no partiality. That's very important for us to understand. 
And we can look at the timeline of history and see that God did have a special plan for his chosen people, the nation of Israel, and that's why he gave them the gospel first, but not the gospel only. It's going to spread beyond that. He has a future plan for Israel. That's great. But he doesn't love Israel any more than he loves you and me. God loves all the people he created, and we have to realize that. But there was that 2,000-year period in history from Abraham to Jesus where, gosh, it sure seems like Jesus was playing favorites. (laughs) It seemed like he loved the Jewish people more. And, And we can sit and wrestle with that today and say, well, I know God's timing is perfect, but that's still hard for us to grasp. There's that 2,000 year period. Well, you know, I say this all the time as we read and study the Bible, we gotta try and put ourselves in that story. Imagine what those people felt like at this time this hinge swings open. Because for 2,000 years, they really thought they were special, right? And now they're realizing the gospel can go to anybody and that's gotta be a hard thing for them to hear, right? God's introducing this new thing. From this hinge forward in Acts 10, no more partiality. It wasn't there to begin with, but they thought it was, right? Now that door is wide open. Now Gentiles, now the Hellenistic Jews, now barbarians, now anyone outside the original target audience can begin a relationship with God without having to become religious, without having to become a proselyte, without having to convert to something else. And that plays out well for us today because people from across the world can become Christ followers and not have to give up their national or their cultural origins. Folks across the world don't have to become American to become Christ followers, right? Amen. Still, this part of Peter's message is easier to understand than this next part. Because on the surface, it pretty much says, well, God accepts people based on their good works. And that seems directly at odds with what I just said that he told the church in Ephesus, right? Salvation's by grace apart from works. So what do we do with Peter's statement? I think we take it in context and we realize he might be talking about our friend Cornelius that we met last week. Because there's a legitimate question in this passage that we really can't answer. We don't have enough information to answer and we don't see hearts anyway. But the question is, when was Cornelius saved? Because you remember we got introduced to him last week and what did it say about him? He's a guy who fears God. He's a guy who prays a whole lot. He's a guy who gives a whole lot of things away. Can any of those things save us? So was Cornelius a Christ follower when we met him last week? I don't know. We know at some point in time for him to become a Christ follower, he has to do what? Profess faith. And for anyone who professes faith anywhere at any time, we understand God is the one drawing them to himself. We can't even come up with the faith to profess faith on our own. I didn't get saved 28 years ago because I finally got smart enough to get out of my own way. Realized I needed to place my faith in Jesus. Nobody gets that smart. Otherwise, what would we be doing? We'd be contributing something to our salvation. This is the way it works. God doesn't just save people who, man, they look pretty good. They they contribute to society. They've got a job. They're nice people. They got a family. But I can't save this person over here because they're way down on their luck. No, God saves both those groups of people. That's the beauty of that. And he saves them the same way through professions of faith. There's nothing different to that because neither one of those folks can add something to their salvation. It's equal. It's beautiful. Now, we root for Cornelius. Why? Because he's a good dude. We see a guy like Cornelius and we go, man, that guy's studying the scripture. That guy's praying. That guy's a good guy. We applaud for him. We think that's great. 
Do we applaud as well when God comes and scrapes people off the bottom of the barrel? When God finds that person who's at the end of their rope and says, I'm going to save them the same way I'm going to save Cornelius. That's how he saved me. That's where he found me. He can save anybody anywhere. God's word gives us a famous example. We can probably look in our lives and go, well, I know people like that. I know people like Pastor James who got saved from the bottom of the barrel. We can look to scripture. There was a guy who was on a cross. He was a thief on a cross who was not in a Bible study group, was not in a prayer group, didn't have anything to offer to his salvation, and yet here's the reality. Every person sitting here who's already professed faith, we're going to get to meet that guy one day because he's in heaven. Why? Because he professed faith. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to become Jewish. He didn't get circumcised. He professed faith. His good works didn't save him because they can't. So don't get bogged down over Peter's statement here. It may just be alluding to the fact that Cornelius was a good dude. Doesn't matter. Salvation's not based on our nationality. Salvation's not based on any good deeds that we can do. It's totally based on God's grace, period. Amen? points us to the second point on our outline. We see that salvation centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Salvation truly is about good works, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, but it's not our good works. <laughs> it's the good work that Jesus did on the cross. And that's what Peter's sermon is all about. Here's the bulk of his sermon. You can read this with me. Acts 10, starting in verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, Peter says he's the Lord of all. I think that's just a nice nod from Peter that the scope is now bigger than it used to be. He's the Lord of all, the Jews and the who, the Gentiles. And so you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? With the Holy Spirit. And with power, this is why we're calling this series Plugged In. He's plugged into the power. So Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And get this, verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews. He did it in Jerusalem. And what they do to him because of it, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Jesus went to the cross, verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us. We'd been chosen by God as what? As witnesses. And we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness. Peter says, this thing that I'm telling you, I'm not the first one nor the last one to tell you. All the prophets said exactly the same thing. And then he has a little mic drop moment, verse 43, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter out, boom, he might drops the mic, he walks away. Right? That, that's, that's how strong this sermon is because Peter is plugged in to the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and honestly, I believe this is probably the Cliff Notes version of this sermon. Because otherwise, this sermon was like three minutes, and, and most preachers like to preach longer than that. Don't judge me. But you understand, <laughs> you understand we get up here and we kind of get going, right? You know, 40 minutes, that's good. I imagine Peter droned on a bit. But, but what we get here are the highlights. 
And I think this is cool because Luke actually fashions the highlights after the pattern of the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you recognize that or not. If you read the Gospel of Mark, it starts with John the Baptist and his baptism. It starts talking about Christ's earthly ministry. It gets to the crucifixion. It shifts to the resurrection. But then the Gospel of Mark is super intentional about the part we play because we are supposed to be, what does Peter call us here? Witnesses. We're the ones who are going to go out and share this message. And I would tell you right now, that always preaches. And Peter said, as witnesses, we're supposed to tell people that Jesus was appointed by God to be the judge. And then he ends with the the mic drop moment. Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. And we understand through correlation, it's not just belief about Jesus, right? Because that's a different thing. Even the demons believe about Jesus. No, this is belief in Jesus. This is placing our faith, our trust in him. And when that happens, he will be the judge between the living and the dead. That person has their sin forgiven. That that person receives the gift of eternal salvation. So it's really a pretty tidy summary from Dr. Luke. But I love that even in the summary, there are things he cannot skip. One of the first is there in verse 36. It says, God took the initiative in sharing the gospel. God has to do that. We're not the one that seek after him. He seeks after us. And he says he sends Jesus as the prince of peace. Now, that's pretty pregnant if you think about it, because logically speaking, what what do we have to show? What do we have to display to show that we need peace? No peace. (laughs) There's disunity. There's, There's not harmony. And so Jesus needs to come along and bring that peace, because there's discord between a holy God and sinful us. So when we think about Peter including that in the sermon, isn't that him just giving a nod to the fact that we're not good on our own? That's why we need the peace? Paul explains this over and over to the church that met in Rome. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Hey, in case you don't get that, I'll revisit it a few verses later. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't, I don't want to put this on you, but I know I've read that before, especially when I was considering placing my faith in Christ, and you read that, and you're like, well, yeah, but I'm better than that guy. I mean, all have sinned and fall short, but I'm better than Bob. I mean, you know what Bob does? I'm better than Carol. Do you know what you, that's what we tend to do, right? We try to make that a comparison thing, and I'm probably going to be okay because I do more good than bad. If that's where you want to land, you can't continue reading God's word because it'll come and just smack you right upside the head. The Apostle James says this, James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law, I do a pretty good job, but fails in one point, uh uh-oh, has become guilty of all of it. Ouch. And so now we start to see this huge importance of the fact that God initiates the relationship with us because we ain't going to do it on our own. God sends Jesus to us. Jesus gets plugged in. He gets anointed with the Holy Spirit power so he can go around doing these good things, being our model, battling Satan, because we're supposed to now go do that. Once we profess faith, we're supposed to get plugged into the Holy Spirit power. And so Peter intentionally mentions that in his sermon. He says, we're not going to be able to to beat this on our own. That's why Jesus goes to the cross, because there are wages to be paid for our sin, because we're not good people. And we can't pay those wages on our own. We don't have anything in us good enough to do it. So Jesus went to the cross as our perfect substitute. He paid that penalty we could not pay. 
I'm biased, but Peter is crushing the sermon. <laughs> he is really doing well. And, and he says Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. He throws a neat fact in there. I don't know if you caught it. Hey, we ate and drank with him. You don't eat and drink with a spirit. Who do you eat and drink with? Uh, someone who rose from the dead. <laughs> someone who has a physical body. He's throwing this stuff in to say that's who we serve. It's a risen Savior. He's calling people to himself for eternity. It's a great sermon. It's focused on application. Because now what's the charge as we go out to share the good news? As we go out to tell people about the possibility of a relationship with Jesus, what are we supposed to focus on? Duh, Jesus. That's always the takeaway. This is my greatest fear of people going out and sharing a soft version of the gospel. We go out and peddle a gospel that's not real good news, right? And I've tried to caution folks here on staff when I was doing Young Life. I've tried to caution people of that. Because I remember getting a soft gospel presentation myself. When I was in high school, I'd gone to some church event or whatever. And this well-meaning guy, I don't know the guy whatsoever. He's like, well, God loves you and he has a great plan for your life. Well, technically, that's true. <laughs> There's nothing false about that. It's not heretical, but it's not the whole picture, right? Because if that's the gospel message I'm hearing, God loves me and he has a great plan for my life, what do I do in my pride? I said, well, I must be pretty special. God loves me. I bet I'm pretty cool. He has a great plan for my life. Well, now who is the focus on? Me. And that's not where the focus of the gospel is supposed to be. <laughs> it's supposed to be on Jesus. What's the reality of the gospel? I got to die to myself. I'm not special at all. I got to die to myself if I really want to live for Christ. I, I, I just shudder at this because I've heard people say things like this. And I'm not walking up and smacking people, but you know, people say, well, you need to accept Christ because then your life will be easier. Don't tell people that. Have you read the Bible? That's not true at all. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Thank you, daughter, for remembering that verse. This is what we talk about, right? We know that that's going to happen. We can't tell people, except Christ, your life will be easier. If you want to say, except Christ, your life will be abundant, I'm all in. But the abundance comes through the trials. And that's the part we have to remember to share with people. Otherwise, we're not presenting the true gospel. Are we willing to die to ourselves? Peter had to die to his own prejudice, his own partiality last week. Don't go selling a version of the gospel that makes it all about us. Then when somebody has a trial, they're going to think it's a bait and switch, and that's not the way it works. As we go to share the gospel, we need to do it like Peter does here. We need to do it like Paul was always so careful to do. This is what he told the church in Corinth. We preach Christ crucified. Why do you have to get crucified? Oh, you ready? That's the part of the story we have to include. But what does Paul say? That's a stumbling block to the Jews. For 2,000 years, the Jews thought, we're pretty special. We don't have to have somebody die for us. It's folly to the Gentiles. All these people are now hearing it for the first time. Well, I'm not that bad, right? As we go to share the gospel, yes, take the opportunity to tell people that God loves us. He does have an amazing plan for us. But that plan was to send his son sacrificially as our savior to pay the penalty for sin. We got to make sure we include that part. Otherwise, it is bait and switch, and I'm, I'm worried about that. As we share the gospel, are we telling the whole story? And we have to be intentional about this because of point three on your outline. We're supposed to do it. 
We are the ones. We are the witnesses. Peter could not have been more clear. Verse 39, we are witnesses of all the things Jesus did. Verse 41, we are witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Verse 42, those witnesses were ordered, some translations say. Our translation says we were appointed. We're going to have to go do that. We are commanded to go share this message. That's a hard, hard word. That makes the application even tougher. You can't wiggle out of this. We're commanded to carry an accurate message. Couldn't there have been an easier way? Again, I won't put that on you. That's just me. I'm like, couldn't God have done this a different way? You see angels who are sent in this passage, and I always love that. God sends angels, but he always does it to nudge the proceeding along. It's never the angels standing up in heaven and shouting, hey, here's the gospel. You never see Jesus write it in the clouds and everything just stand and read it. How does the message come? It's through you. It's through me. We're the ones who are supposed to go and carry this message. We're the ones who are supposed to make disciples and make disciples until Jesus comes back. We are the faithful witnesses. Here in Acts 10, Peter is the faithful witness. And it was a tough gig to get him there. He had to get the meat sheet lowered in front of him, right? Because he was prejudiced. But after God smacked him around a little bit, he was obedient. He was commanded to share the gospel, and he does it. What's the result? Verse 44, close this out. While Peter was still saying these things, he's in the middle of preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, who are those guys? Those are the Jewish guys that Peter brought along with him, right? Those are the guys who had already professed faith, and and they were Jewish believers. They were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because they're seeing these people profess faith. They're seeing the Holy Spirit poured out on the Gentiles. How do they know what happened? Because the Gentiles were speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these Gentile people who have received the Holy Spirit? How? Just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And I love this. Then they said, hey, Peter, stick around. We'd like to talk some more about this. What's the big takeaway? Salvation results in obvious evidence for people who believe in Jesus. Those of us who receive grace, those of us who receive the gift of salvation, we should look different. I mentioned this last week. This this is kind of a rough blow for Peter. This is a rough blow for anybody who's preaching. He doesn't get to finish his sermon. (laughs) Like all this is going on, and Peter's like, I've got two more points. Hold on. Well, we can't do that, right? The Holy Spirit comes in and does his best, you know, Rafiki impression from Lion King. It is time. And it's done, right? If that happened right now, I'd be like, okay, I got three more pages. But no, that's what happens, right? Because it's God's timing. The Holy Spirit falls on these people. And we don't see this level of detail in the sermon. Again, I think it's a summary. But these people profess faith. We know that because they're moved by what Peter's saying. And the Holy Spirit falls on them. And now we see evidence of it. And part of the evidence is they have the Holy Spirit in them. And that's just a stone-cold reality that we saw on the day of Pentecost. That's what happens. Now we have this blessing that the Old Testament saints didn't get. We get the Holy Spirit the moment we profess faith. He indwells us so we can go out and be plugged in and live these Spirit-filled lives. Paul is real careful to explain this quite often. He does the church in Rome. He asks this question. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? 
are by hearing with faith. Yes. That's the one. It's the latter. People, we don't get saved because we did good stuff. We don't get saved because we worked so hard or because of where we were born. It's by faith. That's promised in the scriptures. And then we get the chance to go and display that evidence. We join God on this journey of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Christ. And what we're supposed to be doing at that time is displaying what? This fruit of the Spirit. Displaying this evidence that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Paul explained this real clearly to the church that met in Galatia, and he gives that list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not truly a list. It's one fruit. It's the singular fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember it's kind of made up of nine things, and we get bogged down in the things. We get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And a lot of times we want to think of those as nine different fruit. They're not. It's one fruit. But we like to think of it as nine different things because we don't like some of them, right? And we're like, well, I really don't have any patience. I really don't have any self-control. If you're a Christ follower, you do. You have all those things. What are we really saying when we do that? There's something I'm doing (laughs) that is grieving the Holy Spirit. Or there's something I'm not doing that I'm supposed to be doing that is quenching the Holy Spirit. So I'm having trouble displaying patience right now. And what will God do at that point in time? He'll put you in the self-checkout there at Costco with a person who has 406 things. in front. You're like, oh, man. Oh, wait, I got patience. (laughs) I forgot, right? But that's what happens. We're supposed to show this evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's beautiful. These guys get the indwelling Holy Spirit. They get another evidence here. It says they spoke in foreign languages they did not previously speak. Now, I don't think that's normative for folks who become brand new Christ followers today. I think this honestly happens because that's what happened to the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. They got to do that. And remember, we said this is equal. So now here, these Gentile believers, they get to do it too. They start speaking in languages, recognizable languages that they did not know how to speak as evidence that the Holy Spirit was living in them. It's about equality there. And then they get another evidence that we do see as normative in the church today. They get baptized. Just like we had our river baptism and folks literally walked down to the river and said, I'm going to get immersed. I'm going to symbolically identify with Christ through this picture of dying and rising again. I'm going to tell people publicly that I want to follow Christ. That's a phenomenal thing. And they got to do this. Peter says, why shouldn't they? Because they're Christ followers just like us. And then I think, honestly, it's more evidence, and I thought that was fun. These people are brand new in Christ, and they don't know what's going on, like a lot of us when we become brand new in Christ. And they're like, Peter, stick around and explain this to us. We're new from the inside out. We're going to need a little help. And that's how Peter winds down this sermon. Holy Spirit inspires this lesson, and Dr. Luke writes it down, but the big takeaways are we're now supposed to go share it. We've got to share this correctly. We can't go out and confuse anybody. Make them think their salvation is based on what area of the world they were born in or or good things that they might do. We have to go out and share. God wants to save everybody. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, anyone who professes faith in Jesus, they're going to be saved. And they're not just going to be saved from their sin. Do we share this well? It's not just that you're saved from eternal punishment. You're saved to a relationship with the Lord. That's the beauty of that. You're saved to abundance. 
Let me close with this. This is honestly, it's one of the funniest stories I've ever read, but it's ironically funny because it's honestly scary. It's a sad, sad story when you think about it. Somebody stole a car. They stole it from another state, and then they drove into St. Paul, Minnesota. It was a little Volkswagen bug. Wesley would have loved it. This car had been spotted in St. Paul, and so they started doing newscasts. They started uh, broadcasting on the radio. that They were desperately trying to find the person who had stolen this car. It seemed like they were giving it more attention than a normal stolen car would receive. I hope the police look hard for those. But, but like this was all over the news. There was an urgency to finding this particular person who stole this particular car. Do you know why? Because the person who owned the car had left something on the front passenger seat. It was a box of crackers. But they'd poisoned the crackers. They had rats living under their home, and so they poisoned these crackers, and they were going to put the crackers under the house to try and kill the rats. And this person stole their car with this box of poison crackers in the front seat. And so they're, they're making broadcasts on the news. They're trying to desperately to find this guy. Why? Not to punish him for stealing the car. There'll be consequences for that, for sure. <laughs> trying to save him. Dude, don't eat those crackers. <laughs> Is that the picture we have of God sometimes? I'm going to run from God. I'm fleeing God. And, and what we're really doing is I'm just going to eat the poison crackers. Do we recognize God wants to save us? He wants to rescue us? Much more than that picture we have in our head, he wants to punish us. Jesus already covered the wages of our sin. When we share the gospel, are we sharing the whole story? I pray that we will. I pray that we make sure people understand the only way, the only way to be saved is by professing faith in God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? God bless you guys. I, I sure do love you. I, I pray, well, I guess I'm glad God didn't finish this sermon early. <laughs> Got to tell the cracker story. But, but, but the Holy Spirit might have been falling on you at this point in time. You might want to talk with somebody more about salvation. That would be fantastic. There are going to be people who are standing at the cross who would love to pray with you, love to talk with you. We're just so glad that you're here. God bless you guys. Let's pray. Daddy, thank you for the opportunity to study. This, this is a neat, you know, for a guy who loves biblical history, this is such a neat story because of the, the opportunity now we see for, for your gospel to go forward. But God, here's the beauty, here's the reality of this passage. And, and I, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit even directing this service with the busyness of this week and stuff I had going on. I hadn't talked with Brenton about the song selection and... <laughs> We had the opportunity to sing just as I am. God, do we realize that's the picture? Just as we are, doesn't matter if we're at the bottom of the barrel or, or we're getting by in society, but we still don't know you. It doesn't matter. We don't know you. We need to know you. And you are the one taking the initiative. You're the one pursuing us. Because your desire is that we're going to place faith in you and, and spend eternity with you. God, as you're pressing that on people's hearts, I'm reminded of when you pressed that on my heart 28 years ago. God, help us to go share that message boldly out of love. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.